I'm going to read uh, a passage of scripture, and then we're going to I'm going to read this prayer, and we're going to read it together, and then we're going to close. Let's see if I can do this. Keep with that, thanks. And then we'll end with another another scripture. It's a little different than what we normally do, but we're flexible. Make space to read some scriptures over us, to read some truth over us, and to read this prayer. This is a prayer that I frequently read to begin my days, and I wanted to share it with you because I feel like I feel like it speaks to um, not knowing each day what's going to happen each day and listening to the Father's voice each day. And uh, I encourage you, uh, if, if you're like, oh, this first piece, put it in your Bible, bring it home, stick it on your dining room table, and pray it as you, as you need it, or as it um, reminds you of the truths that sometimes I forget. And then um, we're going to finish reading a very common psalm to kind of ground our hearts and to remind us of what we believe. And I want to leave space um, for us to pray what's in our hearts the things maybe that you haven't given yourself time yet to just bring before God and delay here today, whatever, whatever's on your heart. So I'll read the scriptures, we'll read them together, and then we'll just have a little quiet space where you just talk to God, whatever, whatever's on your heart. So I'm going to start by first reading 2 Samuel 22.3. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. Second Samuel 22.3 Now the prayer I share with you. I am not the captain of my own destiny. Not even on this new day. And so, I renounce anew all claim to my own life and desires. I am only yours, O Lord. Lead me by your mercies through these hours that I might spend them well. Not in harried pursuit of my own agendas, but rather in good service to you. Teach me to shepherd the small duties of this day with great love, tending faithfully those tasks you place within my care, and tending with patience and kindness the needs and hearts of those people you place within my reach. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord Christ. I deposit now all confidence in you, that whatever these waking hours bring, my foundations will not be shaken. At day's end, I will lay me down again to sleep, knowing that my best hope is well kept in you. In all things, your grace will sustain me, Bid me follow, and I will follow. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Take a few moments. Just share your heart. What's on your mind with God? Father's community, we lay before you. We raise up before you the concerns of our heart, whatever's on our mind, whatever's going through our head. We offer it to you. We remember you are our shepherd. You guide us. You lead us. You take care of us. And we remember that at the end of the day, our best hope is, is kept in you. So right now on the backspace, there is a, uh, a, a, it's a tablet going. We're really low tech. We're using a tablet, and there are people watching on that. So what I'd like everybody to do is to turn around and wave at the tablet and greet everybody online. I have no idea who's there, but hi. <laughs> Maybe nobody. You know, there might be nobody there, but, you know, it feels, you know, it could be anything, right? That's the beauty of the Internet. You can be anything. We are a mega church online this morning. Can you believe it? It's a miracle. So a few months ago, we actually started counting our online listens. So we've been recording these things. And uh, then we put them, we have a monthly report that the council looks over, like, how are we doing? And all of a sudden, there was this spike in attendance, like literally like to 500 people. And I was like, somebody added a zero. (laughs) And it turns out that it was our online listens had turned over 500 people in a month listening to the sermons and such. So know that we are more than we are and more than we see, and we're like the TARDIS, Doug. We're bigger on the inside. Okay. Yes. 
Yes, is it a good reference? Anybody knows what TARDIS is? I don't know. <laughs> Sandy, you know what a TARDIS is? Good. Yeah? yeah? Okay. All right. Oh, I've got a difficult job this morning, you guys. Um, we're in, we set up this month to be missions month. So we brought missionaries last week, and that was, how many enjoyed those missionaries we had last week? Balt and Janae? They were really fabulous young people, and uh, it was really great hearing from them. And so I had planned this morning to really talk about the mission of God in the world and our role in it and to encourage us and remind us about a few things. And then somebody decided to shut down the country and throw out this whole COVID-19 thing. And so now I kind of feel like I need to talk a little bit about that, and not just because I feel like I need to talk about it, but because I believe Jesus has got some things to say to us through that. And then on top of that, I was going to talk about baptism. So you're all kind of wondering now, how is he going to weave those three things together? And so am I. We are going to find out what will happen in the next 15 to 20 minutes if I can get to all those things or not, all right? Do you guys with me? So it's kind of a game where it's like going to thumbs up when I get to them or whatever. Uh, where have we been? Where have we been as a church? I want to review just briefly like this last several months, last couple of months, like since the new year started. We've really felt a call from God to invite you to listen to him, right? Listen to Jesus and ask, Jesus, what is your invitation to me in this season, right? In this season of my life, what is your invitation? And that's just a good question for this morning, isn't it? I mean, you're watching television rather than being going, all right, I got to go stock up on toilet paper. I don't know why I have to stock up on toilet paper, but I definitely feel the urge to stock up on toilet paper. Instead of doing that, maybe ask Jesus, what is your invitation to me in this? What are you inviting me in my faith, in my place, in my house, in my community, in my family? What are you inviting me to do, to be, to speak? How do I posture myself? How do I, how do I live through this pandemic? Man, when they threw out the word pandemic, that's when, that's when everything broke loose. Did you notice that? That is like the scariest word I think I've like heard recently. Like pandemic, ooh, we all shiver. It's like, what, that's what the news wants us to do right? They want us to shiver when we hear that word. And because there's good fear and bad fear, right? They want to use that fear to get us to, you know, stop touching each other at church. <laughs> stop, stop giving each other hugs so we don't spread this thing around. So I asked that question in the beginning of the year. What is God's invitation to us in this season? And then I felt like out of that question, the Lord really impressed a few things on my heart. And we've been going through those things in sermon series. So the last series was Better Together, right? That was a series on marriage and relationships, and the whole point of it was, how do we live in the new family of Jesus, right? Because we've been born again, we've been adopted by Jesus into his family, and when we enter that family, we've got new ways of doing things. There's a new culture, there's new rules, there's new, there's new ways of being, there's new identity that's given to us, and all of these things affect and shape how we live with one another, and the way that people know in this world, like the only way people in this world are going to encounter Jesus is through you and me, right? Through the new family of Jesus. That's us. And so we got to learn how to do it different. We got to learn to do things the way Jesus does things, not the way grandpa did things, right? Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is where? In your bones. That's right. He's in your bones. We've learned, we've been more formed by our culture than we have by Jesus, and you know what? In some ways, that's fair because we've spent more of our lives in the culture than we have with Jesus. And so we got to get with Jesus. we got to ask him, what are you inviting me to do? How do I live in this new family? How do I forgive my neighbor? 
How do I love my spouse with all I have? How do I treat my children? How do I interact with people at church that I disagree with? How do I love Republicans? How do I love Democrats? How do I love those wishy-washy independents? How do I handle them? We do it different here, right? We do it different here, amen? It's hard, though. (laughs) It's hard. It is not easy. So that's the first vision point. That's the first point of vision, that we are better together and that we relate to one another as the new family of Jesus. Now we're going to come to vision point number two, which was this sermon series. And the the thing that I see in this church, my hope, my longing for us, is that we would become a community of people that deeply loves and radically serves the people that God has given us to love and serve. Does that, is that kind of long? <laughs> you know, I want it to be short and really quippy, but I can't. I want us to be a church that deeply loves, wholeheartedly loves, and radically serves the people that God has given us to love and serve. Because God has given us people to love and serve. As your pastor, I look at you and I say, these are people that God has given me to love and serve. How can I best love and serve them? When I go to the coffee shop, on my good days, because I don't want to tell you I'm perfect at this, but on my good days, I look at the barista and I think, this is a person that God has given me to love and serve right now. I have a conversation with them. How can I best love and serve them? Each one of you has a sphere of influence, a group of people. It may be two or three if you're an introvert. It may be 75 or 80 if you're an extrovert. Come on, extroverts, you got to get on this. But whoever it is that God has put in your life right now to love and to serve, that you would be a person who radically, wholeheartedly loves and serves them because God's given them to you. This is about making disciples. This is about loving people that God has given us here in this city. It's about loving people that God has given us in our neighborhoods. It's about loving people that God connects us with across the state and the region and across the world, that we would be people that love and serve those who God gives us here, near, and far. There's your quippy part. There's your quotable phrase, right? Here, near, and far. Everybody say it. Here, near, and far. I haven't got to COVID-19 yet. It's okay. Hold on. We're going to get there. So our, our missionary speakers last week, they asked you guys, and this was like a moment of pride for Pastor Jamie, I got to tell you. They said, who here's heard of the Great Commission? And everybody in the room raised their hands. I know half of you were raising your hand because you didn't want to look like you didn't know, but that's okay. And they were like, wow, your pastors have done such a good job telling you about the Great Commission. I w- this is funny. It's okay. You can chuckle. Uh, it was really awesome. I was like, it did my heart good to hear like, oh, these people know this stuff. They've heard it. They've heard it here. And this, this dream to be a people that love and serve the people that God gives us comes out of that great commission in Matthew chapter 29. If you want to open your Bibles there, you can. But it's chapter 29, 19 through 20. It's the very end of the book of Matthew. It's like Jesus' last words to his disciples. And he says this, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And what he means by the ends of the age is when it all said and done, when the curtain goes down on time, when God comes back, when he restarts the clock and sets up a new heaven, a new earth, and things are awesome again. 
when, when we make the world great again, to steal our president's phrasing, right? When God makes the world great again. The ends of the age. So that counts now, right? We're somewhere between when Jesus said it and the ends of the age. So it starts, it's, it's now. He is with us. He is calling us, and he says to go into all the world. And our missionaries here, they, they brought up this idea that the actual Greek there really is better translated than while you're going. So that means when you go to Costco and you're standing in line, because who went to Costco like this weekend? Did anybody else besides Heidi and I go to Costco this weekend? Okay, literally every check stand was open and there was lines to the middle of the store. It was insane. And it, people were not panicky. They just had three times more food than they needed. And so they were like, carts are loaded. But everybody's just all calm. But we're, we're there and we're in the middle of Costco. We were going. We were on our way. And in that place, we were called to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, to love people and serve them, the people that God gives us to love and serve. If you went to Walmart yesterday or the day before, God was calling you to disciple the people that were there. God sent you to this city for this time to do a degree, to have a job, to do whatever it is you do in this space, in this time, in this moment of history. Go and make disciples. It's our primary mission in life. It's the prime directive if you're into Star, Star Trek. It's, it's the thing that we are all called to do. Now, there's a lot of confusion about that word called, though. Many Christians, surprisingly, believe that being called is left up to just a few. It's left up to the professionals, so the missionaries, the pastors, the deacons, the elders, the Sunday school teachers. These are the people that are supposed to make disciples of all nations. But that's not the case. You know, even if it was the case, even if this was true, this, this, this passage really messes with it because it becomes a circular argument. If this passage, to go into all the world and make disciples, is written to professional leaders like pastors and leaders, such as Heidi and I, the, the, then it says to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. So my job would be to disciple you, to teach you everything that God has commanded. And guess what Jesus commanded? To go into all the world and to make disciples. So even if only a few are called, my job is to teach you to go and do it anyway. You're stuck. <laughs> There's no out on this one. We are all called to do this. We're all called to live in such a way as the new family of Jesus that the world looks and go, ooh, that's good. That's really, look at, look at them. Look at how they are with one another. Look at how they engage with politics. Look at how they face the coronavirus. Look at, look at how they are. They're not panicking. I mean, they've got just normal amounts of toilet paper. They're not stockpiling. Look at how they are. They're different. Why are they so different? Why are they so calm? Why are they so peaceful? And it's because when we have been born into the new family of Jesus, guess what we get with it? Peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that guards our heart. Peace that leads us through troubled times. We get peace. Doesn't mean we're not going to get sick. It doesn't mean that we don't have family members that are hurt. We don't, it doesn't mean that we don't face the loss of our income, but it means in the midst of it, we have peace. I'm going to do that again because you've got to say it loud enough for them to hear you online. In the midst of it, we have peace. That's right. That was really good, guys. Good job. So what this means is that we are all called. 
It's not that few of us are called, that a few of us have a ministry, but it means that if you are a Christian, you have a ministry. You have a calling. You have a place in this world where you need to be loving and serving the people right around you. And I know that many of you are thinking, wait a minute, did, was that just in the, the fine print somewhere? Because like, like, I, I didn't see this. I want to tell you something. This passage in the Bible, I grew up in the church. I was dedicated to Jesus at five years old. At eight years old, I swam through the baptismal pool because I was getting baptized. And at, at 16 or 17, I accepted a call in my life that Jesus was calling me to give my life into full-time vocational ministry, that this was my gifting and my calling. I was at 16 or 17 years old. I went to Bible college. And you know when the first time I like heard this verse? I'm sure it was preached. I'm sure we heard it. But the first time I heard it was my senior year in Bible college in a missions class. And the professor spent a whole day teaching a bunch of Bible college students in a missions class this verse. And it is so important. So I'm not surprised if you haven't heard it, but you're hearing it now. You are called. You were chosen. You have been set apart and set free for a purpose, a mission to love and serve the people that God gives you to love and serve, to teach people the goodness of God's kingdom and his family to show them when we live as followers of Jesus, good things come. And it's not just in the there and then, it's in the here and now, because we learn to love each other differently. We become loved differently. Our relationships are stronger and deeper. Our relationships are wider and broader. We learn to forgive. Where things would be cut off, they become restored. I gotta tell you, I have a family history of cutoffs in our relationships. Things go sideways, they break apart, we isolate. I got, this is my family history. And I got to tell you, Jesus in the last six months has been absolutely restoring that. Has absolutely been working in my life. I keep getting phone calls from people that have been cut off from me. They're like, hey, I just wanted to have a chat with you about these things. And I'm like, oh gosh, we were doing the best we could with what we had at the time. And I just know that God's grace is in this. And he's bringing restoration. Isn't that awesome? And that's for all of us. That's not just for me. It's for all of us. And it happens while we are going. While we're living out this new kingdom. We're all called. Called to love and serve the people that God has given us to love and serve. And that limits things. You don't have to go out and preach the gospel to every person you ever meet. Okay? You don't have to go out and, and, and have a street sign. You don't have to be the corner-standing street sign person. You just have to love and serve those that God puts right around you. It's practical. It's simple. It's not hard. You just love them, and you tell them Jesus loves them too. Because that's what I tell you every week, right? We should do that because we need to do that in the middle of this. Because if you haven't heard this yet, Jesus loves you. He's good. And Heidi and I love you, too. You think, oh, good, he's done now. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> so we had the mission part to get a hold of. We had to talk about COVID-19. We talked a little bit about that. And we had to talk about baptism. So we're going to move to another passage. So if you want to, yeah, ooh, two-passage Sunday. Look out, look out, Galatians. If you guys want to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is a, is a funny little book. It's kind of hard to find. You want to put it someplace else, so I'll help you out. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 
Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. It's hidden right there past those big books, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the city of Galatia, the Galatian people. Why they're called the Galatians, I don't know, other than that's what they chose, I guess. So he's writing to them in the midst of a, uh, the context that's going on here is really crazy. So all these new people have come to faith, Gentiles, people that were not a part of the Jewish faith. They come to Jesus, and they become part of the church. And the people that had been a part of the people of God, the Jewish people before, the men especially, go to the bathroom, and they look at themselves, and they say, hey, this is not fair that those people get to get in without being circumcised. I had to go through this. Why shouldn't, you know, Joe Gentile over here have to get circumcised too? And of course, if you are a man, you understand that the Gentiles were saying, uh-uh, no way, Jose, am I going there? And so it became this big argument. In order to be a part of the church, in order to be a part of the family of Jesus, do the men all have to be circumcised? What does that have to do with the mission of the church, COVID-19, and baptism, you say? Probably nothing. Probably nothing. But see, the thing is that Paul, he is a working theologian. He's a situational theologian. In other words, a situation comes up and he applies his belief and understanding in God to that situation. So we can take Paul's outcomes, Paul's situational theology and take it and go, okay, that applies also to this. It applies also to this. And so this is Paul's words regarding circumcision, but I'm going to use it in regards to mission, COVID-19, and baptism. You impressed? I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm getting a maybe. We'll see. So let's read. I'm going to read 5, 1, and then 13 through 14. It'll be on the screen behind me. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, freedom, brothers, and in parentheses, and sisters. He's talking about circumcision, so he's clearly talking to the guys. We're not talking about that, so we're talking to the ladies, too. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, which is confusing because there's like six words here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's say that together so you guys be awake. Ready? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's going on here is that the Jewish believers are trying to put a yoke on top of the non-Jewish believers saying that you have to perform this practice in order to be a part of us. And Paul says, wait a minute, Jesus died on a cross for all of us, and he never said that you have to be circumcised in order to be a part of us. We are putting a rule upon somebody, a yoke, that enslaves them to an old system, that enslaves you to living in a way that you're trying to approve of, you get yourself approved of, trying to appease God, trying to make God happy. And that's not how we do this. Jesus set us free for the sake of freedom. We have been set free for the sake of freedom because he thinks freedom is a good thing. Freedom, does anybody think that's true, that freedom is a good thing? Uh, sometimes we get a little crazy with our freedom. Sometimes we run out of bounds of our freedom without responsibility. But in general, freedom is a really good thing. It's a really good thing. And Paul says to you and to me, 
in the midst of our stuff, in the midst of the things that are trying to be put on us, it's for freedom that you have been set free. You are free. You're no longer bound by the things of this world. You've been set free. This is a repackaging of the good news, right? It's, it's, it's just a, it's, it's the same content, but it's got a new wrapper on it. It's got different colors and bright new packaging. You guys ever see that? When they like, you get this Charmin toilet paper, and on the front of it says new packaging. Like, whoa, i got to get some of that. You know, it just it gets your attention differently. You, you want it more. It's, it's a repackaging of the good news that Jesus came, that God was among us and lived with us and dwelled with us in the flesh, and he died for us, and that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God ever. That's where our freedom comes from. We have been set free. We love that part, don't we? It's good news. But our experience is often kind of different. While we have read this passage and we hear, oh, you've been set free, we still walk in the path of our grandpa and grandma and mom and dad. We still walk in the path of our addictions and brokenness. We still, li- we still find new ones. You guys ever notice that? It's like, oh, I'm set free from this. Oh, shoot, there's a new one. Where did this come from? It's like, they're like, they're like little, they're like walking into a preschool and the children, they, they just grab your legs and the next thing you know, you're like, what, what, where did you come from? Our experience is more like that than it is like for freedom we have been set free. Let me tell you something though. Despite all of the brokenness and the messes, despite all of the sin, despite the fact that you work and work and work with Jesus and his spirit comes in and he sets you free from one thing, and then the next time you turn around, you've got another one. Despite all of that, you are not who you were. You are not who you were. I am not who I was because I have been set free. Freedom is a a process as well as an end goal. And we are walking toward that freedom. And that's what the call is. You were called to freedom, so walk in it. It's so important because until you experience the transforming love of God, until you experience the freedom that he offers, until you start getting phone calls saying, I know that it used to be this way, but but can we work through this? And you begin to go through that process of transformation, you will not be able to love and serve the people around you to the fullest extent that God is calling you. To the degree that you are enslaved by your hurts, by your history, by your failures, by the questions that come up in your mind, you, you will be so bound up in those things that you will not be able to focus on the hurts and the healing that others need. But when you have tasted the goodness of Jesus, you will want others to experience that too. You're going to want that for somebody else. So go becomes a totally unnecessary command when you've experienced that kind of love. When you've experienced that transformation, it's totally, I don't need to tell you to go. Nobody needs to tell you to go because you're just blabbing it all the time. You're like, church is so good because this has happened and Jesus did this thing in me and the Holy Spirit is changing this thing in me. And when I became a follower of Jesus, I was like this, but now I'm like that and it's so much better. It's amazing. And you can't stop talking about it. But Paul goes on to say this, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another love in love. Have you noticed that no matter how long you've been a Christian, those things that creep in, they keep coming at you, 
and they keep us focused not on loving and serving people, but they keep us navel-gazing. They keep us looking into ourselves to see our broken and sinful nature and to try to become transformed. And You know, it's important to take classes like Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's important to take classes like Rooted that help us see these broken areas in our life and learn to walk in freedom. But it is so easy to just, I'm just taking classes all the time and never live outwardly, to never find a space to serve and love people. And we wind up getting caught up in our sinful nature. Augustine said that the, 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 the action of sin is to turn inward. Remember we talked about that? That it's when, when like, how do I describe this? The people of God are, are a circle. But which way do you think the circle is facing? They're a circle of people holding hands facing outwards. What sin does is it turns us inside, into one another, into ourselves, into our own community. It's the action of sin. And Paul is warning them that, look, we can indulge our sinful nature. For the, for the first century Jews, the sinful nature was to work to earn God's favor. For us, it's to turn inward, to isolate, to hide. And you know how we get there? We use two real big things in our culture. First one is time. We are the most time-poor culture in history because we are so dang busy. And we've talked about this over and over and over again. You've got to take a Sabbath. You've got to take time to listen and to hear from God. You've got to take time to be with the new family of Jesus. You've got to take time. And, and it's, you know, everything is pulling and pushing and fighting to take your time and to tell you you don't have enough time. But our, and that's our sinful nature. That is our sinful culture telling us you don't have time. We can indulge that and turn inward to ourselves. The second way our culture really gets us is fear. Time and fear. We're the most time-poor culture, and we are one of the most fear-rich cultures in the world. And it's really nutty because we're one of the safest cultures in the world, right? Third-world countries look at us and go, man, I'd love to live in that ghetto. I'd love to live in those dangerous, drug-addicted places. It'd be safer than where I'm at. And yet we just live in fear and we watch the news and we are saturated by news of fear. We are saturated by news that we need to fear what that's going to happen to us. We need to fear this outbreak. We are saturated in it. We have so many things to fear about. Fear is a serious, serious problem in our world. It instigates violence. It perpetuates suffering. It inspires envy. It erodes friendships. It keeps us distracted and searching, afraid to miss out. Who's heard of FOMO? Fear of missing out. This is a, it's like a cultural thing, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. It casts a shadow of doubt on love. It prevents us from letting others know us. It kills fellowship, undermines churches, and it keeps us from risking. It keeps us up at night, wound up, reacting to anxiety. Fear robs us of peace and threatens to destroy the life that Jesus has promised you. It gets us stockpiling toilet paper. And I'm not even sure how that helps. The world is absolutely flooded with fear and our souls have become saturated by it. I'm going to say that again. Our world is flooded with fear and our souls have become saturated by it. Do you know what the most common phrase in the whole Bible is? Fear not. That's insane. That is the nuttiest thing 
in this culture. That the, the thing that is said more often than anything else in the whole Bible is fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. I will not fear, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. His discipline comforts me in the face of fear. Fear not. Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. We are actually literally commanded to not be afraid. And the Bible wasn't going, except for when the COVID-9 outbreak happens in 2020, then you should be afraid. Like, when that happens, be afraid. It never says, it doesn't even have any caveats, right? The whole Bible, every time it's ever said, there's no fear not unless the army comes against you. Fear not unless a whole tribe of angels should trample thee. Fear not unless, it is never, ever, ever any circumstance in the Bible under which the people of God are to fear. Except for God himself. And that's a different kind of fear. We're called to be prudent. We're called to be wise. We're called not to throw our lives away stupidly. That was a thing in the, New, the, in the New Testament. Believe it or not, the first century and second century, Christians were like, dude, did you hear what the martyrs get when they die? They get like to sit the right hand of Jesus. So let's go fling ourselves to the lions. And the church is going, hey, guys, this is a bad idea. And Paul says it this way, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't throw your life away for something stupid, but don't be afraid to have your life taken from you either. Don't fear the arrows that may come to you. Don't fear the lions that roar loudly, but also don't feed them your hand on purpose. Do I need to explain that to you again? Because this needs to be really clear. This is the whole COVID-19 thing, right? Don't be afraid of the thing, but also don't go kissing people who have it, okay? Does that help? We got it. My point, though is that the sin that is besetting us right now as a church and as a culture is fear. We use this circumstance to indulge our sinful nature. But for freedom, you were set free. Walk in it. And then he adds this to the end of it. And by love, serve one another. See, God is far more interested in why you serve each other than how well you serve them. God is far more interested in your obedience to his calling to love the people right around you than he is in how well you do it. He's not up there going, all right, well, you did it, but you sure dropped the ball on this thing and this thing and this thing. His grace covers. He just says, by love, serve one another. Serve one another. He wants us to be motivated to love and not fear. He wants us to live toward people and not isolate ourselves from them. Not stupidly, but in love. First Corinthians says this, or Paul says this, it's like no matter, I like this, it's from the message translation. I don't usually bring another translation, but I wanted to today. No matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I am completely bankrupt without love. By love, serve one another. Let the love of Christ dwell in you richly and allow that love to motivate you toward others. 
Loving and serving people looks like caring more about what others need than what I want. We become focused on the needs of the people around me. And I got to tell you guys, this is, where the, this is where the sin besets me. I turn inward. I, I'm an introvert. My nature is to turn inward, right? This is where I get my energy. This is where I get my life. This is where I get my strength so that I can come out and I can preach on Sunday and then go home and crash. My nature is to turn inward. And yet I'm being called out of love to look to the needs of other people, even in the middle of a Corona 19, COVID-19 outbreak, to look to the needs of other people. We were talking with the high school um, a coach. I don't want to give too much detail. We were talking with a coach recently. And he was just talking, and he was like, yeah, I just even realized that they canceled school, and I'm a substitute teacher. And they canceled all sporting activities, and I'm a coach, so my income just dried up. And I was like, why can't, why can't the school district pay for this? I'm caring about his needs. When, when we started talking, okay, we're going to shut down church, we're going to close the doors, and I'm thinking, we've got hourly employees here, people that clean, people that, that Casey does all kinds of minutes. Where is their funds going to come from? How do we love and serve them in the midst of this stuff? There's going to be other people in our church, people who are at high risk that are not here this morning, who can't even go out to go shopping. I think of Mary Bennett, who's in her 80s, and she just can't risk being exposed to this stuff. That would be stupid. And yet she's got to eat. She's got to have somebody to bring her food and maybe not come through the door. We'll airdrop this stuff in. You know, Heidi and I had the flu a long time ago. We were calling people, can you airdrop food and like drop it down the chimney, leave it on the porch? Don't come anywhere near us, you know. We're putting stuff over our doorposts, like do, do black plague in here. You know, we, maybe we got to do that stuff, but by love, we got to figure out how to serve people past that black plague. We got to figure out how to serve each other. We call individuals who are fixated on their own wants and needs selfish and immature. Selfish and mature churches will have an impact because their passion for people the people that God cares about is seen. That's from Carrie Newhoff, a pastor in Toronto. We call people who focus on their own needs and wants selfish and immature. And God is building a church that is selfless and mature. Who likes the sound of that? It's like when I read that, like, oh, selfless and mature. Ooh, I got to get me some of that. I, I, like, I felt like one of the, the jackals in The Lion King. Like, ooh, Mafasa, you know. <laughs> it's like, ooh, it just kind of got me all excited. I mean, it's such a beautiful picture of the church. This is my vision for us. This is the vision that God has for us. Selfless and mature, not stupid but by love serving one another, serving the people that God gives us. What does he, here's this phrase, and this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up here. When we were reading through and just kind of thinking about the church and who we are, and, and I was thinking about how by love we serve one another, and, and even thinking about how I preach. Often when I preach, I say what I want from you. Does that make sense? Like, often the, the, the action points are like, I want you to go home this week, and I want you to contemplate taking a Sabbath. And people can feel like, oh, it's always a question of what, what, what he wants or what, what the church wants from me. People critique the church for, you know, taking tithes and offerings, and they're like, oh, they just want our money. The truth is, and the reality is, is that we've just said things kind of wrong in the past, because this is really more about what I want for you 
than what I want from you. This is more about what God wants for you than what he wants from you. We say, you got to give Jesus your heart. And Jesus is like, you know, I want your heart, but I don't want your heart because I need another heart. I want your heart because I got so much for you, so much to pour into you, so much freedom to lay upon you, so much fear to erase from your life, so much brokenness that I want to transform and reshape. I have so much I want for you, a life like no other. That's why I want your heart. So when we think about things like hell, a lot of pastors will preach hell so that people will get their butts out of hell and into heaven. You know what? The truth is, I don't want, it's not that I want your butt out of hell, but I want for you to know all the love of Jesus. The height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the <laughs> every other direction that you can come up with words for. All of that for you. By love, serve one another. That question of not what I want from you, but what I want for you, is motivated by love. And I want to invite you to think this morning about two things. First of all, who has God given you to love and serve? Come up with at least three. Okay? Who has God given you to love and serve? And then secondly, I want you to ask this question of Jesus. What do you want for them? What do you want for them? How can I be an agent of that peace? How can I be an agent of that freedom? How can I be an agent of that hope? That is by love serving one another. I'm going to give us a minute of silence to think about that, and then I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to sing a song again, and then we're going to turn off the live stream, and everybody's going to go home and hide in their houses from the virus. No. No. We're going to go home and figure out how to love and serve one another. All right? So let's give us, Jesus, we invite your voice to speak now. Uh, God, I know that as a pastor, I could use many words to communicate, to convince, to, to call, and to draw put people near to you. And yet, just one word from you will change everything. And so right now, God, we seek that one word. Who are you calling us to love and serve? And what do you want for those people? Jesus, speak to us now. Your name. Amen. Just take a minute of silence and listen.
gonna hear my praises roar from 